Hey, hey, it's Pillar here and welcome back to the No Approval Podcast. We're still on the Women's Month vibe over here, but as I said, on this podcast, it's Women's Day every day. I love having incredible women as guests on this show, but definitely for the month of March, I am taking on the theme, breaking the bias for our episodes a little bit more talking about subjects that we need to be talking about but don't talk about as much as women so today we're going to be talking about money mullah loot peas those cash dollars whatever you call it we're talking about it I am going to be joined by the powerhouse Melanie Eusebi MBE as my guest To the public, she is this incredible entrepreneur. You know, she's a founder, she's behind businesses such as the Black British Business Awards, Money Move, and on top of that, she is a director at Accenture. To me personally, Mel is a woman that has brought me into so many opportunities. I have had the pleasure of working for her. I've got to see her run her businesses, manage her teams. I will never forget the time that she invited me to my first PR meeting and I got to see her and her PR agency like strategize a launch, an announcement. And I'll never forget like the agency were naming all of these big broadsheets, all of the key TV shows she has to go on for the launch announcement. And she made a point to ensure that they also had like cultural publications on the list as well and that is the essence of who Mel is like no matter where she goes no matter how huge her career gets she always keeps the door open for the people coming up behind her and Mel has always been a champion of women talking about money so much so that she has just released her debut book called Financial Wellness and How to Find It. So today we are going to be getting into our relationship with money, which I actually think is one of the most important relationships we can have in our lives. So we're going to be getting into her key nuggets from the book on what is financial wellness, you know, like the four keys of negotiation. Yes, we have to get into our negotiating bag so we can never carry last. And I'm going to be getting her hot takes on some of like the money trends that we see on social media. That'll be anything and everything from this generation's obsession with earning six figures. Rich auntie lifestyle is taking over. And you know what? We need to talk about it. So let's dial Mel in. Hey, Melanie, welcome to the No Approval Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here because aside from us being friends, I just love everything that you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I really hope so. I'm glad that someone likes it, you know? (laughs) I mean, come on. A lot of people like it, which is why. So at the beginning of the podcast, I do this thing called a no approval moment where I pick out something from my guest's social media that kind of really represents their no approval. And I just couldn't pick one for you because there's so many. So I'm just going to say a couple of them. Okay. Because I think this all ties in line with just the amazing year that you've had. Okay, some quotables from Twitter. Know your value is the purpose and essence of your life that you are literally trading away every day for money. That was from 2017 when you did the Women of the World um, Festival. There's another one here. Getting comfortable with money isn't about getting lost in spreadsheets every day. 
it's not just about more money, paying off debt or budgeting. Financial wellness is about fostering a healthy relationship with money that supports a healthy relationship with yourself. That's from this year. So I just did those two to kind of show like how long you've been speaking about money. 2018, another one, your voice is your money maker. That's you just stepping on the stage. We know how you do, always getting booked for um, talks. And then this is one of my favorite ones. And it's something that I heard you say years ago and I just carry it with me every day. And it's, if your answer to a decision isn't a hell yes, that means it's a hell no. Mel, you just got quotables all about the place. But I actually do think you, if I'm choosing a no approval moment, it has to be the fact that you've been awarded with an MBE because that shows all the work you've done to this moment. It's been a journey. It's been a journey. Honestly, it's been a big year. It's been a big year. Considering we're in the middle of a pandemic, the MBE, the the financial wellness book, um, kind of living in Barbados for a large part of the pandemic. Like one of my dreams was to live abroad in a sunny country and work from anywhere like a nomad. And doing being able to do all those things in the midst of a global pandemic, it's been amazing. It's been a big year, but you're right. The truth doesn't change. Like everyone's like, oh, Mel, you do so much. Oh yeah, you're on this project, you're on this project. I was like, my ish don't change though. I talk about financial empowerment, getting money, economic empowerment. It literally doesn't change. No matter what I touch, at the core of everything I touch, economic empowerment. So I'm, I'm done with just kind of sticking to laws and regulations saying that I'm equal. Money tells me that I'm equal. <laughs> Pay me the same thing, give me the same opportunities, then we're good to go. That's what I fight for, you know? Has your money gone up since the MBE? <sighs> not really, because um, I'm in a different place in my life right now where I'm not doing as many kind of speaking engagements. Um, yeah. It has gone up because of the pandemic, because I don't spend as much. Ah. So, you know, like, it's just, it's it's wonderful. Like, it's, I, so more money has been in my account than kind of going on, on just simple things like eating out don't do it as much anymore. Public transport, I'm like, don't do it as much anymore. So that's why my money's gone out. But it's kind of consistent from the beginning of the pandemic to now. The same amount is coming in, but I just spend it differently. Mm. It's so interesting you say that though, because like, so I bought your book, but I actually listened to it because I like listening to stuff when I walk. So I was, I was listening. Well, I read it myself. <laughs> Yeah, it was your voice. And sometimes you put like your professional voice on because I know both your voices. I know like <laughs> like Mel when you're just in and I know Mel when she's in her professional mode. And I was actually so, not I wasn't ashamed yet, but when I was listening to it, I was literally like to myself, you know what you've just said? As in like, the only reason I've really started saving is because of the pandemic. And that was like, oh my gosh, this book is for me because I need to address some things and I really actually want to talk about your book. But the first thing that I really wanted to um, kind of speak about is that you instantly say like from the beginning that it's not about like how much you make. It's not necessarily about how much you make. For the people listening, how would you kind of like break down what financial wellness is? Financial wellness is about being comfortable with your contribution, your your, your value, what you put in versus what you get out. It's being comfortable about where you are, knowing where you're going and knowing that and being comfortable with the fact that you may not have the answers, but you are entitled to the answers because you are a value. And what if you liken it to kind of health and wellness, right? Like y'all don't know, I don't know how to operate 
people's brains. I'm not a brain surgery, but I'm entitled. If someone was going to operate on my brain, I'm entitled to answers. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, of course I'm going to ask some questions. So I just want people to feel the same way about their money, right? Like, okay, of course you're not going to know about the financial instruments. You're not going to know about, you know, what's the best stock pick or for investments if I'm saving or, but we you know what are the different kind of mortgage rates I could get. You're not going to know, you know, why you weren't taught. It's cool, but damn straight, it's my loot. And that means that I'm entitled to answers. And I know I don't have everything that I dream of right now or that I plan for or wanted right now, but I'm on the path to getting it. I'm, I have a plan. I'm not just kind of spending or, you know, making money and then spending it immediately and not knowing kind of that, you know, the economic flow through of my life, you know? So financial wellness is not knowing all the answers, but being cool that you can get the answers and not having all the money you want, but being cool with the path and journey that you're on to achieve your goals and dreams, you know? Mm. And in the book as well, like you have tasks at the end of a couple of chapters. And I think, was it the first one that was so revealing? It's like, you need to list everything coming in, everything coming out. As simple as it sounds, that will really, like, it's too revealing. It's revealing. This is not, it is simple in the practical way, but let's not get it twisted, people. It's not like I was like, I went to financial advisor school and I was like, yeah, yeah, like from when I was 10. I had one of those annoying friends, actually, when I was 16. They had their first job at Pharma Plus at Boots, where I used to work at the pharmacy. That was my first job. And they were just like recording-ish. Every time they spent money on a little snack in the food court in the mall, they'd be like, <laughs> and I was like, really? Is that what this is about? You know, me, I was just like <laughs> making it rain. You know, let's go to the food court and eat. And that was from 16 people had already developed their habits. So maybe they had learned that in their household or learned that from a friend. I don't know. All I'm saying is don't, like, it. these things seem easy, but they're actual habits. They're things that you, like, they're easy, but you have to do them kind of on a regular basis for them to, you know, affect change in your life. And I didn't do it until, I don't know, like I would say like 30s probably. Like I would say in my 30s because mm. like, I was making enough money where I didn't have to, if that makes sense. And then all of a sudden when I went and I became an entrepreneur and there was, you know, all my time was being invested in a company that was not making me any money. That's when I was like, oh, wait, hola, hola. <laughs> I need a budget. Like I need to know what my rent is. Like I need to know what the bare bones basics is rather than it being, you know, just something that I can kind of make it rain whenever I wanted. So don't worry about it. You could start it. Like I've had some people in money moves that are like 50. And I also remember a 23 year old university graduate who's putting out the rest of us to shame. And we're like, damn girl, she's gonna, we know she's going to be a millionaire by 30. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, just start where you are. It's cool. Like I didn't, I've met people who are account directors at big wealth management houses, like big wealth management banks that if I say the name, you'll know exactly who they are. And she was like, I didn't clear off my debt. I didn't pay my last credit card. Forget like even just like mortgage debt or school debt. She didn't pay her last credit card till she was 45. She'd been living with credit card debt, on credit card debt since she graduated from high school, you know, but she's a wealth manager. So she made a lot of loot. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's just what I want to do the most out of the book is just take out the shame. I want women to feel entitled to ask questions about their money, to ask questions about their time that they put in and the money that they make, you know, with the time that they put in. Like, I want them to just feel entitled. Like, I know entitlement sometimes or privilege feels like a bad word, but no, with your money, I want you to feel entitled. Okay. I want you to be like, wait, why don't I know this? Because the systems are broken. 
in which we were raised. That's the unfortunate fact that we didn't learn about this stuff in school. Most of us don't learn about it from our households. And so all of a sudden we end up like these broken, shame-filled people who feel like, oh, I should know more about my finances. Why? You never taught. It's all right. It's good. Mm, mm, mm. And obviously, like before you started your business and before you like explored your creative work a bit more, you always worked in the financial industries. But I found it interesting that you were saying in the book that you still like you still didn't have a handle on your finances. And it wasn't that you weren't making. It's more so like you were making so much you didn't really like pay attention to the little things. I just want to get into like what are some of the bad money habits that you had to unlearn making it like um what not tracking my finances (laughs) were you about to say were you about to say making it rain yeah exactly like I just I was flossing I was was gonna say that's a bad habit as well but that's my second bad habit the first bad habit was not understanding what was coming in and what was going out meaning not understanding that I'm working eight hours a day and that eight hours a day is what, you know, I'm making a trade for my salary or for my, my like, you don't really put that together. You don't put together in your head that you are trading away something you'll never get back your time for money. And what I mean by that is that because later on, when I wanted to start my own business, that takes money, right? Usually it takes a bit of investment yeah. and it also takes time, right? And I didn't have any spare I had to keep on working for my company while I started my business on this side. And that delayed me kind of fulfilling my own vision, purpose, and dream because I didn't have the resources available. If I had thought about it a little bit more to say, okay, well, Mel, actually, you just traded one hour of time for a Zara blouse. And really, that one hour of time, like you just took it out of your freedom bank. Mm. <laughs> like you took it out of the time where I could, you know, not work and and, and not work for a big company and, and start my own business. So I just feel like um, the most important thing for me was to understand, wait, you know what? Shit, Mel, you're trading time for money and you're never going to get that time back. Do you realize that? <laughs> and I don't think I realized that until I wanted to start my own business, until I felt, you know where you feel it. You feel trapped. And there's so many people that are just feeling trapped in their day jobs because there's this lifestyle that they have, there are debts that they have to pay, there are responsibilities that they have, and they can't even imagine not working in their current circumstance. They can't imagine, you know, taking time off to have a child or taking time off to have do an MBA or do some master's degrees or to return to study or change careers. Like they can't even do that because they're literally trapped on this hamster wheel of, you know of the money that they're on paying for the lifestyle that they have. It's tough, man. How many people have done jobs? If you're an entrepreneur, how many times have you worked with that client that you just don't like? Because now I only work with the people I like.com. I am not about that life. I can say no when people, you know, I'm a diversity person. And then there are some people who approach me and I can tell they're just making me into a poppy show. They're just making me into some sort of um, you know, kind of quick band-aid fix for the cancer of racism or sexism in their organizations. I say no. I'm like, I ain't the one. <laughs> you can go and talk to somebody else. But I want that freedom. The only reason why I have the freedom to say no is because instead of me going out to dinner with my friends, sometimes I'm just like, let me stay home and cook my little, you know, cook my little dinner, my little sausages and mash with a little bit of caramelized red onion. Yeah. <laughs> I love how you make all the simple meals sound so fancy. Because you have to, because I'm at home all the time. All I do, I don't I don't want to spend money going out as much because I have different priorities. That's it. 
I have different priorities. Do you know what though, when you say that, because I know like there's a chapter in your book called Time Versus Dime. And I really think that it speaks so much to, especially like the current social media generation. A lot of conversations I have with friends, I don't know if it's the pandemic or whatever, like I had it myself, like the pandemic happened and all of a sudden you really start thinking about life. Like, how do I want to live the rest of my life? Once we bust case from this pandemic, like how do we want to live the rest of our lives? And a lot of my friends feel like sometimes their jobs are holding them back from doing what they truly want to do. One of my friends recently like... um stopped doing a role she's done for years and it's if if you look from the outside in it's like a sexy role in entertainment right and she was like actually now I've got this other passion project this role in entertainment is just taking up my time like I've been there I've done that I've worked with every celebrity going but really like when you're working behind the scenes, it's the longest hours. My weekends are eaten. My time is eaten. She she had to, she stayed within the company, but she had to switch to a different role. And I had so much respect for her because I feel like so many people are tied in. It almost feels like there's just no way out. Like, where do we go from here? Yeah. I, like, I was tied in. I was tied in to, you know, I was, I am a management consultant by trade, right? Like a consultant for, for CEOs and stuff. But I wanted to start my own business. I remember when I interviewed for my company, for my consultancy, they asked me, what do you want to do with your life in five years? And usually you would say, I want to make partner. Girl, I didn't say that. I was like, I want to start my own business. And they were like, oh, you don't want to be partner? I'm like, nah, I want to be, I want to start my own business. But I couldn't because I was so used to that big consultant financial services energy and, and lifestyle. And so when it came time for me to have an opportunity to start my business, then I had to look for different models to start my business where I had to get investment externally because, you know, to support me as the CEO is like, I didn't, I didn't have the spare capacity or the spare room to make my dreams come true. So it's, it's really, really tough. So many people feel trapped in their lifestyles and their roles. And so that's why I always say bare bones basic, just do that time kind of audit that time and dime audit just so you can figure it out um we had a kind of a, a money moves workshop a few days ago and the activity that we we did was to kind of look on your screen your screen time so apple phones have this thing called screen time where they can tell you what how much time you spend in a certain app and so you know it could range anything from 30 minutes a day all the way through to like two hours a day just depending on whoever you are and what your your life is and then we did the activity of how much do you make per hour so after tax, how much do you make per hour after tax? So let's just pretend for, you know, kind of discussion sake, you make a hundred thousand pounds a year, then you divide it and you divide it and you divide it. And it ends up being kind of, not even that, but you should make a certain amount a year. Then you look at your take home after tax and then you divide it by so that, an amount that says, this is what I make an hour. And then now what I want you to do is kind of compare that to what you've done on social media. And if you're not, a social media person, as in like you don't work in social media, then that it really hurts because some ladies were spending about like an hour and a half, a half a day on total on all of their on the platforms, and let's just say you're making like twenty, thirty, four. Let's just say one hundred fifty pounds an hour. That ish starts to add up. Like you, like if you think about it, that is like wait. Instead of working, I was spending twenty pounds an hour. So that's sixty pounds a day. That's seven days a week. Do you know what I mean? All of a sudden, that's 500 pounds a week is what you're spending on your time to not even like 
make money from social media, but just to look at social media. I'm not talking, again, I'm not talking about people who work in social media, who are influencers, who have like, you know, kind of a, a compensation kind of agreement where you get business, it's your business development. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about you chilling on the sidelines and looking at other people's life. I feel like you came to drag me on my own podcast because <laughs> should I be honest with you? Should I be honest with you about my screen time? Okay, like I get the reports on Monday. You know, on the Monday it says it. I think like on a good week. <laughs> on a good week. On a good week. On a good week, it will say I average six hours. <laughs> a day? A day. A day. On a, I'm trying to work on it. On a bad, bad week, right? Do you know what? A bad week is when there's like a big world event. like, And I have no business even really knowing this stuff, like American politics, like, or, or when the war in Ukraine starts. I'll just be reading everything. And those weeks, it's like 10 hours. Totally, totally get that. It's just that when you start to look at it over the long term, you know, it's if it's seven days and it's six hours a day, let's just say you do make six hours a day and you make 20 pounds an hour after tax. So that's 120 pounds a day, 120 pounds times seven. You, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that's a lot, Bebs. That's a lot. That's like almost 900 pounds a week. And so you just think about, okay, what could I have done with that 900 pounds a week? Like what could I have done with that time instead? You could flip your relationship with social media so that you're not only consuming, but you're also putting out there. Like, you know, like you're actually making it some sort of business development tool for you or like, you know, so that you're still on it, like you still like playing around with it, but, and, but you can kind of formulate it under research or you can formulate it under, you know, posting, like rather than it being just you taking in other people's ideas. One thing that was fundamental to me, I remember my mom, I wanted to watch television um, and I wanted to, I can't remember what I wanted to watch, but she was like, no. I don't want you to watch other people make their lives happen. I want you to make your own life happen. So instead of just sitting there and watching Serena Williams play tennis, go and learn how to play tennis. Instead of sitting there mm. and watching four white friends be friends, go and make friends. Like experience it rather than watch, just just watch the experience. Like you can watch the experience for learning, but then there's a point where you're just like, okay, Look, if I'm looking at, you know, some influencers who are in Paris Fashion Week, I'm not calling out any names, but, you know, and they're just like looking oh, off. I can't lie. I love the content. I love the content though. <laughs> I know who you mean and I love That's the thing. content. So, like, so I love it. And I'm just like, okay, why do I love it so much? Because I want it mm. for my own life. Mm. If we're being honest, that's what it is. Yeah. You want it, right? Like, that's what it's all about. Like you want that life. You want them. You want to have the tea and cakes in the hotel. You want to be like flossing through life with cute little outfits. So go and book the trip to Paris and don't live too vicariously through like have watch these people and they will inspire you. Right. Like they'll show you new ways and new things. So I'm not saying I'm not negating influencers at all. But what I'm saying is there's a reason why they, you let them influence you because you want what they have. And so I just want you to make the steps to kind of give it, make it your own as well. So go to Paris and do that thing or go and try the, you know, the swatch of the makeup that they put on or, you know, just live your life differently because of their influence on you. Mm. But don't just consume. Mm. Like this year I said to myself, like, because obviously I used to co-host another podcast. And then when we lost that, I did a year just um, 
producing, which I absolutely love producing. I feel like I found my thing, yeah. but I did miss like hosting a podcast as well. Cause I would always constantly have ideas in my head and I'd be like, oh, this would be a good episode for this. This would be a good episode for that. And then this year I just said to myself, I've got to stop spectating and start like participating. So that's been my big thing um, this year. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's got a tick from now. <laughs> I want to get into some of the social media things that you mentioned, actually, because I really thought like when I was listening to the um, book, I felt like there's so many lessons in this, even though some of the lessons are from like back in the day when you used to work in financial services or when you started your business like six years ago. I was really thinking that there's so many lessons in here that are relatable to the current generation of social media users. And whether that's Gen Z or whether that is um, millennials. And I wanted to touch on some of them. First of all, I wanted to like get your take on some social media trends in relation to money. So the first one is, so millennials, I think this is mainly a millennial thing. Millennials have an obsession with six figures. Mm-hmm. Every time you're on Twitter, people are talking about six figures. And they sometimes there's been on the timeline on Twitter. I remember people even having a whole discussion. It went viral about earning 3,300 or, or something like that. That's not enough money. Like everyone is obsessed with this view of six figures. I want to hear your take on that. I've got a few other trends to put to you as well. Yeah. Like let's keep a hundred, okay? Trying to keep it real with you guys. I come from humble circumstances. Uh, my parents had to work very, very hard, particularly my mom, to kind of give me the, the things that I didn't really appreciate when I was a kid. And one of the promises I made myself when I was younger was that I would never, ever be poor. Whatever the definition of poor is, I wasn't going to be it. <laughs> That's it. Like, I don't, don't even care. Well, I don't care what the definition is. Like, what do you mean by poor? I don't care. I wasn't going to be it. It was over there and I'm here, right? Like, I, like, I couldn't, I'm not white. I am black. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, it, it's over there. So for me, I love that our goals have turned into not only something that is, you know, kind of money oriented, but it's also quite realistic in comparison to kind of the 90s and being a millionaire (laughs) and having a million in the bank. Six figures is, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do it then. Like, and I love the breakdown. I love the 3,300 breakdown. Like it feels like people are kind of breaking it down into kind of manageable, like, you know, just a possible chunks rather than it being, yeah, I'm going to be rolling six figures with my Roly and my Audemars Piguet. Sorry to name out brands, but you know, so I'm not mad at it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. You like it. Okay. Interesting. Compare and contrast for a few years ago, what we were like, what, what were we aspiring to? Tell me. Um, exactly. I don't remember. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but you would remember if you were making six figures though, wouldn't you? <laughs> of course. Of I course. I think that's good. Like if you think about what rent looks like in zone one and two of London, like you're looking at, you know, just a one bedroom, God help you if you want to have a little family action, all of a sudden, what are you going to do? What are you going to do really? If you want to also have like a job and pay rent and then also save for a mortgage, then I am not surprised that people are coming out with a six-figure kind of ambition because it's this city is hella expensive and the big cities around the world are hella expensive. And £100,000 is a lot more attainable in a lifetime than, you know, one million pounds. And that's what we were flossing 
That's what, that's what our, our hip hop artists like that I love. Mm. That's, what, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what they were flossing. They weren't flossing six figures. Yeah, it's true. So I just remember like Bill and Melinda Gates, right? When they started their foundation, they were already rich. <laughs> like they made a lot of money first. Even though everyone says, oh, yeah, he's high school, he's a dro- school dropout. My dude got rich first and he helped others afterwards. I don't understand why we're looking at black people, black culture, and be like, oh, well, just because they're they're aspiring for, you know, a six-figure salary, and all of a sudden we're like, what, looking at them like they're bad people? Really? <laughs> this is such an interesting perspective. Okay, my next one for you, my next one for you, and this is more from, like, your experience as an entrepreneur. And I think this is one that's heavily done by Gen Z, I think. Is it Gen Z or Gen Z? But you, you know which one I mean. And that is putting out figures of the business, as in, like, profit not in profit necessarily like revenue they're like okay we've had a seven figure year we we did this much revenue like people are openly putting out their figures and I know I want to get your opinion on this because I know like you champion us to talk about money but do you champion us to talk about money in this way like what's your view yeah ain't nobody got time for that like everybody (laughs) nobody got time for that like no I don't champion just randomly giving out figures to people. I think that, uh, you know, there's also a, a safe space. So I, I I champion talking about money, finding safe spaces to talk about money. Almost I, like I advocate like a red tent or a green tent of money where you have like, you know, your partners, your friends. We have like the Money Moves community where I'm just like, there's no judgment. There's no nothing. Let's talk about it. But there's judgment out there. So you put your figures out there and you got to get, used to the fact that people are going to judge you on it. For me, if the end game is making loot, if your audience needs to hear how much money you make, or if your client or your customer needs to hear how much money you make, then by all means, go and do that. Because there are some brands, they don't even want to hear it. Like if you go into your luxury space, talking about money is like, you're talking about how much money Vogue makes or Harper's Bazaar or Chanel or like the people don't want to hear about it. Like there's not even a price tag on their ish in the store. <laughs> like they're not really trying to go there. Yeah, yeah. But if you're fostering a group or a community where that transparency is important to your clients, your clientele, your customers, by all means, translate. If you're communicating it to brag, you know, you have deeper character trait issues that you may want to watch, but I, I ain't the one to judge you. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. But if you're going out there flossing on people, then you, uh, you know, then you're, you're going to have to expect the judgment back as well. Me, I'm not in the position to do that. The information that I give about myself is a treasure and I, I bury it in safe places. And so that means that, yeah, in my Money Moves community, probably like, some of those ladies do know exactly what I make, right? Or they they know what I started off with or they know, you know, some of my peers and my colleagues, they know how much I make, how much my rent is, whatever, but otherwise, like just to kind of put it out there on Friend Street, if that's part of your marketing strategy, and it could very well be part of your marketing strategy, then by all means, my friends, go ahead and do that. But if it's not part of your marketing strategy, then I have to question why you'd want to do it in the first place. So I think what you said is key, like if it's part of the marketing strategy, because I do feel like um, when when people do it, it does create more hype around a brand, especially if they're like a smaller brand. So I've seen that people who kind of show how much they're making or how much they're generating, what it does is it helps them get more press, more PR, which they might not have been able to like afford. It's not something I would do, but I do see how some people like use it as a marketing strategy. Exactly. If it's a marketing strategy, then by all means, but then you know that there's also backlash 
to it as well, right? So Of course. I feel like it's something like the older generation didn't need to do. But it's something that I feel like maybe like the Gen Z generation. I think it's an industry thing as well. Like I think that luxury goods, luxury items, they're not, they're still not going to talk about money. True, true. I think that there are, there are things that are such high value. And I'm not even talking about luxury goods only. I'm talking about kind of um, surgeries as well, like doctor and um, doctor's medical services, um, oil and gas, aerospace engineering. Like there are whole, I'm not even talking about kind of the creative talent or education industry that kind of is proliferate on the social media. I'm talking about everything else. There's some stuff that's so high value, you don't even talk about the price. If we don't really talk about how much pilots are paid, we don't care. Fly me safely. It's so true. And I didn't realize that how expensive it is for them to even get that training to become a pilot until I had a friend. He was like, I have to raise 50 or 80K. I was like, what? It's a lot. To learn how to fly a plane. Exactly. It's a lot. And just like I, so for me personally, my marketing strategy is be of such high value to my tribe that they'll pay anything. Yes. You know, like, so I don't want to tell nobody nothing. Like they'll, you know, that's it. Like my, the, the, then I look at my whole brand and my whole brand is transparency around money as well. So I ain't going to be ridiculous about it, but you know, you, you, so you do have to balance it out. You do have to balance it out, but you also don't want to make people feel bad. Mm. There's something, you know, comparison is just like the enemy of joy, to be fair. Yes. It's a thief of joy. And so I think that, um, like if I tell people, okay, yeah, I've been investing in cryptocurrency for like what five years, you would probably assume, probably quite rightly, that I've done quite well because Bitcoin in five years ago, and there was only a few cryptocurrencies, and that means if I invested in Bitcoin five years ago or Ethereum five years ago, then I, I should have a sizable pot, you know, if I still have it. Mm-hmm. Right? I have to go into that. Does that make my students feel better? My customers ultimately? Does it make them feel better? I would argue no. It doesn't. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't. They don't want to hear that from me. They want to hear the fact that I'm doing really, I'm doing well now, and I wasn't doing well before. And they and they want to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's who I'm fostering as my customer and client. They don't need to know the amounts. They just need to know the dark place to the light place. Okay, interesting. So my next one for you is, um, I think you'll like this one. My next one is, what's your take on rich auntie lifestyle? That is a massive trend. So that is the luxury life for those that don't know. I think it's great to have different role models at play, mm-hmm. including the rich auntie. I want it to be a route to opening us up to even more role models of various backgrounds. <laughs> That's all. So that, because there are some people who don't care for the rich auntie kind of lifestyle. I am not one to kind of typically lean towards that. Like I'm more of a, you know, my boyfriend's a surfer and a fisherman. We go hiking on the weekends. I like nice things in nice places, but I'm not necessarily rich auntie. I'd rather spend like no money on some things like my daily living expenses so that I can travel more, you know? So I just feel like it's nice to have a, it's nice to have a role model that's a bit different than what we've been exposed to, like from Nina Simone's Five Women. But on the other hand, I think it opens us up. Hope it opens us up to so many more role models. Like, did, I didn't even know there was a whole Black women's surfer group. Does anyone know? Like, oh, no, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know that. Honestly. Even like Black me, right? women There's a whole singing, book not singing, Black women swimming as well. Has become, is, I've seen that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Black black Girls Hike, that's a group that, you know, we, we follow 
online. It's not on Instagram right now. I read, you know, like there's, I guess what I'm saying is that there are several kind of role models that are coming out now, like with our, our beautiful Hill House vintage. And like, I just see a whole lot of stuff. So Rich Auntie, yeah, it is definitely popular and cute and everything, but not all of us are going to be rich aunties and not always want to be. For the people that do aspire to it, because sometimes I'll be on Instagram. I think it, it was during the pandemic that I really realized I had to, <laughs> I had to be like, are we earning different money? Because I would be, you know, when people put like a dress on like Insta stories um, and then you click the link and then I'll be clicking the link and it's like the dresses are starting at like 600 pounds or the dresses are like four figures. I was like, you don't need to start warning me because I'm wasting my time clicking these links. But how can someone, because I know also you're someone that, as you said, it's not something that you lean towards, but you like nice things occasionally. How do you have financial wellness and be part of rich auntie lifestyle? Break it down to us, please. You decide what you want to spend your money on. Okay. Ultimately. Mm-hmm. That's financial wellness. You're making the decision that you earn money and that you spend money. So you're earning it how you'd like to earn it on the route to your own goals and paths. And then you're also spending it the way you want. You know, people may think that I'm like thrifty or frugal. I got my girlfriends and my colleagues who are posting about that stuff. I'm not the one. Financial wellness is economic empowerment. It's basically saying I have the power over our money. It's mine. Got you. It's mine. I'm not being pulled like a puppet master. I am pulling my money like a puppet master. So if you want to spend your money on nice things, then go spend your money on nice things. And let's get, let's get 100 Like, I just spent 18 months in Barbados. That ish ain't cheap. It's one of the most expensive Caribbean islands out there. Of course it but isn't it's because cheap. because I wasn't spending money. It afforded me the chance to spend my money in Barbados. It was a choice that I had made. But there are some people who said, actually, I'd prefer to spend my time all in London not have to pay for two flats and two different lives. And I, cause I want to be able to buy the dress or go out to eat in London. For me, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to take that Uber. I'm not going to buy all those clothes because I want to go and be able to live in, in the Caribbean. I want to have a home in the Caribbean and a home here. But what's most important about that is that I made the choice. I made the choice, you know? And I'm not saying that it's, um, Again, like it's a bad thing to buy nice things. I love nice things. I have a Christian Dior handbag upstairs and a tag her on my watch. I ain't the one <laughs> not to buy nice things. All I'm saying is that I want you to make the choice to make nice things. Like, and I want you to feel free. Because sometimes what happens is that, you know, if I, when I bought my nice things on credit, like back in the day when I didn't know any like better, I bought nice things. Like when I say things, I'm like handbags, purses, like those kinds of things. But I was deeply unhappy because I was spending my time at a job that I didn't want to be in. So I wasn't free. I was free to spend. And I spent all my money. And I had cute, like, like from all the designers on the Selfridges floor. But I wasn't free because I was working at a job that I didn't want to be in anymore. And I couldn't start my business. I didn't have any investment. So I just want you to be free, girl. Spend your money where you are. So if you want to be a rich auntie, hell to the years. Like, sometimes... I do floss. Like sometimes I do bring out the Christian Dior bag and I give Rufus a fresh groom. And then I have a little watch in my hair. Rufus is her very cute dog. And I pop into my convertible car and I'm flossing with my girlfriends having lunch on the street. And then the next day I'm back in my track pants. So. No, I get it. Okay. So my friend, Tasha, she was, she was my, on my episode last week. Tasha is the definition of rich auntie. She has the Bottega. She has 
all of it, right? But also she has a very senior job, right? She can afford her lifestyle. And she said to me one day, she was like, do you know what, Pillar? I was like, what? She was like, I just want you to know something. She was like, just because you don't buy like as many designer bags, I think I have like one or two. Yeah. She goes, just because you don't buy designer bags and designer dresses doesn't mean that you're not into rich auntie lifestyle because she was trying to tell me that she goes your lifestyle or how you live she goes the ubers you book and the restaurants you eat at mean that you're actually (laughs) you're actually the same but you're just spending your money in a different way and I was like oh my gosh she's right you're right she's right like let me tell everyone something that Part of the inspiration of this book, Financial Wellness and How to Find It, was from Pilar. And she'll find herself on the pages. I don't know if you guys know this, but Pilar is actually in the Financial Wellness book because at one of our Money Moves meetings, Hala, she talked about, and all the girls felt her, she had this living her best life fund. (laughs) What is that you say? (laughs) Living your best life is whatever the F you want it to be. For Pilar, it was Ubers, it was dental work. I remember the conversation yes. so clearly. And all the girls around the room, because we were having a budget party, yeah. they just looked at Pilar like she was a goddess. They're like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. To the point where I still refer to the Living Your Best Life Fund. So rich auntie, your rich auntie friend, Natasha, she is so right. It's spending your money the way you want. So if Ubers are the way that you want to spend your disposable income, or if you know, kind of, or dental work is the way that you want to spend it. You do that, girl. But what I want you to do is understand how much it costs you, not just in terms of money, but in terms of time as well. And if there are other things that are deeply fulfilling to you that you want to do, then by all means, go and do it. I had to make a decision, right? I wanted to have a baby. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, on the other side of 40. It was a lot. So in the book, I describe, I was like, I had to change my life to pay for IVF because, yo, IVF is no joke in these streets, people, is no joke. Like that was, it's, so I had to just direct my money in a new and fresh way in my life where I used to be able to buy kind of more things. I was like, no, actually I want to be a mom and I have to save my money accordingly. You know, like that's what's up. You just choose the way you want to spend your loot, but don't let someone choose for you and don't let your freedom, don't ever pay for your lifestyle with your freedom. Okay, so the last two I want to ask you. So one of them about freedom, because you speak about, um, in the book, you speak about like sometimes the negotiation isn't always money. Sometimes the negotiation can be like getting a gym membership. It can be... um, working from home one day a week. You even gave the example about when you got your car, the things that you negotiated around it in terms of delivery and stuff was equivalent to like a grand. So you negotiated in an, in another way. Another trend I want to speak to you about from, from social media is there was this article that I read on Gen Z and I follow a lot of like, I love seeing like what the the younger girls are doing, what the younger guys are doing. Absolutely like love how fearless they are. And this article was around them. And I follow a lot that that also say some, like I follow this girl, she was job searching and she was saying that I'm not accepting any new job unless they allow me to work remotely full time, like even after the pandemic. And there was an article, I think it was in the New York Post. And they were basically saying that, Gen Z is a whole new generation when it comes to 
negotiating their working circumstances. And I thought, so when I when I listened to that part of your book, I was like, Mel is literally describing what Gen Z is doing right now. And I feel like the older generations, like millennials and the generation above that, it's not something that we had the audacity to do. So I just wanted to get your take on how you feel about... Um, the, the younger generation kind of like embracing that and how everyone else who's not there yet, the kind of things that, yeah, they can negotiate on other than money. This is the time, friends. You know, people, in terms of our return to work after the pandemic, everyone is, everyone, the pandemic gave everyone an opportunity to figure out how they were contributing and, and if it worked for them, right? So let's just kind of do, that's bare bones basics. And some firms now have said, okay, look, we could work remotely from here on in. Like that's, it's cool. And so with the kind of the, the acceleration behind this movement of kind of deciding of, you know, how we return to work, then you have the opportunity to kind of sit down quietly within yourself and say, okay, what do I actually need to be my best self at work to show up for work in the best way? And it, it may not, it may mean that actually, you know, to take out the daily commute from your life, it may mean that you, you know, you have a gym membership, or it may mean that, you know, you have like team meetings more, it could be all kinds of stuff. So I think it, it's amazing. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that we're in the middle of experiencing. And it doesn't have to be limited to both like kind of younger people. I think that all of us are going through it. Women, particularly in regards to having care responsibilities, you know, you're just, you're, we're all in this place right now where we're just negotiating. There's a lot more jobs right now than people. How do you take that though, in terms of, cause you've given us the keys to the negotiating. So in your book, you have like a four step process. You say, you gotta do your research. You gotta define your ask, get your timing right. Then practice your ask. What is it like on the other side? Because you lead teams, right? How do you find it when they ask you the things that you're teaching us? How do I find it? If they do it the way that I described it, then, you know, they, they're, they're pretty good. They're in pretty good seed because particularly because of timings. So if you're looking at the timings of a company, usually they have to kind of set budgets and announce financial results uh, at, at set times of the year. And so I would need to know what your intentions are for your future with the company um, before I set a budget for my department or for a company. So if, I, if I'm thinking about, okay, wait a minute, if I pay this person 20 pounds an hour and they're asking for, you know, a 20% raise, then, you know, how do I, I have to budget that as part of my company expenses? So if you get the timing right, then it helps greatly. Um, additionally, if you're a smaller business, then it also helps because you, we're more reliant on you as a person, as a, as a young person, right? Like, sorry, as a young company, like we need... We need you. We, we, we don't, it's more expensive for us to go and find someone than it is to keep you and just pay you a little bit more money. So if you get some of the, if you follow the rules in my book, then quite frankly, not the rules, but the guidance in my book, then quite frankly, you should be able to get your promotion within a year. That's amazing. The thing is you won't get it right away. Though. Okay. You won't be able to get it right away. You won't be able to, I, I, I very, unless we already intended to give it to you, the first time you raise it, I probably should have said this in my book somewhere, but the first time you raise it, like you're going to have to give people a bit of time to kind of process it yeah. and to figure out how it works into the company finances, you know, but you deserve within a month, I would say you deserve a yes, a no, or a path to a yes. Okay. So how do you feel when, for example, 
Because, you know, like I said, I feel like millennial and upwards don't have, they haven't had the audacity in the past to ask unless they've come yeah. to like one of your sessions. Do you know what I mean? So how do you feel when you don't have, like when you have a team and you have those people not asking, but then you have like newbies asking who are younger, do you feel like they've earned the right to do that or it doesn't matter? I don't, I don't really consider it. It doesn't matter. Like when I question the audacity of the ask is when you haven't done the effing work. And I'm like, okay. really? Did you do your research? That that upsets me when you haven't done the work, you haven't done the research. So you haven't done the, the work in terms of, you know, you're asking for a raise to get to the next level up, but you're not working at that level. So why would I promote you? Mm. And you haven't shown me any indication that you are going to be at that next level. So versus a manager versus a senior manager. So if you haven't done the work, then yeah, I, I, I'm shocked at your audacity. And <laughs> if you haven't done the research, then yeah, I'm shocked at your audacity. As in, you know, if you're asking for a 20% raise, but then top of the market is a 5% raise, then I feel you're crazy. Then okay. I, I will tell you you're crazy. But I'm just like that. <laughs> I'm just like that. You will you will ruin your chances though if you don't do the work and you don't do the research. If you haven't done the work already, then I would say, you know what, just be self-aware. Like you'll know if you are getting performance reviews and you are kicking all kinds of backside. You'll know if you're making those sales. You know what I mean? Like, come yeah. on, guys. But don't be going and asking for a raise and then the boss avoids you in the hallways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I was like, really? You don't go to any of the team meetings, but you're going to ask for a raise. You didn't make your sales last year. You're going to ask for a raise. Stop it. The company is about to go bankrupt. You're going to ask for a raise. Like, you know, this is going to take a little bit of EQ from you, friends. It's going to take a little <laughs> EQ. Oh, my gosh. So, no, but it's true. Like, I'm going to keep 100 with you. I remember when I got my MBE, right, I was like, it's a public display of credibility. Yeah, yeah. And that's the time I asked for a raise. When the papers are talking about, okay. you know what I mean? like it's, the timing was right, basically. That's the time I, like I'm not saying you have to have an MBE, folks. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there has been there's confirmation or affirmation of my capability in diversity in business like that. So that's a time like you, you, but you need more than just I feel so because I got a lot of people talking about I feel so, especially like the people that I coach and stuff in the program. I'm just like, so tell me what your race is based on, and they can't tell me so like. Like they feel that races are based on passion or zeal. They have all this vim and have this vigor, but they don't got no kind of capability behind it. And I'm just like, they have no receipts. There's a lot of vim, a lot of vigor, you know, like a lot of, but I'm like, wait, where's the impact, the business impact? Like, tell me what you've done thus far, because a company is not going to promote you on potential. They don't promote on potential, they, pro they promote on performance. It's different. Performance is, it's behind you, you've already done it. Potential is what they see in front of you. You know, so they promote you mostly on performance and a little bit on potential. So true. I wish I had this like uh, guidance when I went in. I remember in the book, you say like, you don't go and ask for a pay rise. Like you have to tell them how much it is. And I remember when I was freelancing at this company, everyone was on a day rate and we found out like the guys, this one particular guy was on a hundred pounds more a day. So we now had the Vim. Two of us had Vim. So we went... <laughs> <laughs> we went to our hiring manager like, um, hello, like I, I need a hundred pound. We're like, oh, I need a hundred pound pay rise. And they were like, what? Like, And that's when I realized it's not the fact that his work was better, but he had 
two guys had actually, they had negotiated at the right time. So they were looking at us like we're crazy. And then in the end, we went down, we're like, okay, can we get 50 pounds more a day? And they were like, well, and she broke it down like this. She was like, listen, when you're saying a hundred pound a day or 50 pounds a day, you've got to look at it in terms of the whole year. And she's like, what you're actually asking for is this percentage of an increase. And she said, even if you were permanent, that's crazy. Like no one gets increases of, of that percentage. In the end, we got 40 pounds a day extra. But then she gave us a tip. She said, there's a younger guy in the team to you girls. And what he's done over the years, every six months, he raises his um, day rate by like, say like 10 pounds. And she says he never asks for a pay rise. He says, this is my new day rate. And it's because it's so minimal, they continue giving it to him because it, it sounds like nothing. And then they were like, so he does that by 10 pounds and you girls come all like guns blazing for a hundred pounds because you're mad that you found out someone else earns more than you. And that's when I was just like, you know what? I had to learn some lessons. So now next time I'm ever in that position, I'm gonna research. I'm going to define my ask. I'm going to work on the timing and I'm definitely going to be practicing with people. Exactly. Like, you know, let's keep a hundred. That situation is shit. Like that, the situation is so shit. When you find out, particularly for women, that a male colleague is paid more for you for, for their services than you are. It sucks. And it's prevalent is what I'm saying. So I'm not trying to minimize this structural inequality that exists that led you two to be paid like less than your, your colleague. That is wrong, guys. What I'm saying is, is that until the structure is fixed, y'all need to get your money. <laughs> that's it. That's, all, that's what I'm saying. Like, and here are the tips to help you get your loot. That's it. Like, it's not, I'm not putting it on you. I'm not saying, you know, like that it's, you know, oh, well, if you didn't do it this way, it's your fault that you don't get it. No, what it's the fault of our organizational hierarchies and structures that have embedded inequality. That's where the fault is. But until that fault is remedied, I need you to take care of your own. <laughs> is that what I need you to do? And this is why I'm giving you tips to take care of your own. But I always have to give that preamble because sometimes people are like, I'm defending the org. Nah, <clears throat> not defending the org. I'm empowering you. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm doing. I'm empowering you to loot so that eventually we should have salary bands that are so tight and contractor bands that are so tight that you can't even verge off of them. Because if you're doing the same job, you need to be getting paid the same. It's not that deep. Like I don't, all now, I still don't understand why pay inequality exists. All now. Because if you're doing the same job, you get to pay the same. If it's a, there's a job description, that means that, what's the problem? Are they doing more? They're getting a raise? Why? Why are they getting a raise? Does that mean that that's part of the job description? Okay, then, then increase the base pay. What's up? It's not that deep. I know the people you're talking about. Okay, but to round it off, I have to have you back in the future for an NFT episode because I know that with like Albright, you've got so much going on in terms of like educating women on the NFT space. So I need to have you back for an episode on that. But the last thing I wanted to ask is like, what did you learn from like the generation above you that has really helped your financial wellness um, journey? So like from your mother, your auntie, and how is that going to translate to your own family? Yeah, that one's really tough. Like, my book is dedicated to my aunties. I don't think I really got it until I was old. 
<laughs> that they did so much, right? So you are not old. But my mummy, mummy was born in in Trinidad, mm-hmm. uh, and then she, she took a boat when she was sixteen to England, and she became an NHS nurse, and she was here for t- almost twenty years. Um, had me at thirty five, and then moved to Canada when she was forty. Oh, wow. Can I just ask quickly, you know, when she had you at 35, back in those days, was that considered old? Right. It was. Right. So I got to thank mom for that because, you know, she loved, I remember there are a few things that I learned from my mom. Like, I remember I asked her when I was a little girl, you know, oh, maybe I should be a nurse like you, mommy. And she was like, no, you can't be a nurse. I was born to be a nurse. You have to find what you were born to do. I love that. And I feel like for a Caribbean parent, that's deep. That is, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's deep, right? Like find what you were born to do. But what it also taught me is that she loved working. Like it wasn't that she was a slave to it. She was like that she was purpose built for it. And so that purpose building of my life, I really love that. And I also think about like my aunties as well. I don't think I could have ever fathomed when I was 16, taking a boat to another country and starting a whole new life where I probably wouldn't see my family for like a really, really long time because uh, you take a boat there. Like I just, the courage with which they not only, my mom not only like moved to England, but to Canada and to set up a whole new life where she had like no friends with a daughter. Like I, I hats off to her hats. Like I just, I can't even imagine. And if I layer on the sexism and the racism that they must have encountered as black women, like my aunties just, they blow me away. And then they had homes as well. Like in Canada, very different in Canada where, you know, immigration is, celebrated as part of its history and it's also um we're also encouraged to buy homes as well to populate the, like outside of the bigger cities so they all had their homes and i'm just like wow like they all bought their homes they all moved from some small island to some country where it's like hella cold man I, <laughs> like you know they did a lot so that's what i learned from them Oh, Mel, I've absolutely loved having you. Like we've got into the money. The book was such a good, such a good read, such a good listen for me. Where can everyone find you on social media? Social media, Melanie Usebe, one word, M-E-L-A-N-I-E, E-U-S-E-B-E. Yeah, and it's across all the profiles. It's the exact same handle. So it's nice and easy. And then you can also find my book, Financial Wellness and How to Find It um, in person. You can look at it at Waterstones. Mm-hmm. And you can also get it online on Amazon and waterstones.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I also got one on Audible as well. Got to shout that out. Uh, exactly. And also read by myself, but read by yours truly on Audible. And yes. And yeah, please do read it. It's not your average classic book, friends. I feel like it's just so relatable on every level. Like my mum has been reading it. I've been reading it. I really feel like, yeah, I really feel like we need to have, I feel like it needs to be on TikTok for the the TikTokers to be reading it as well. (laughs) No, I should, I should really do this, shouldn't I? I know it's hard promoting stuff. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Couple of months towards the end of the year. We need to have that deep dive and have you back on that. But Mel, thank you so much. Okay, bye. Thank you so much. Bye. 
So that brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with Mel. Like she just really is about that life and I enjoy learning from her and speaking to her. So I hope you got some nuggets and if there's anything in there that you try out or considering trying out, then listen, hit me up, hit Mel up, let us know how it goes. Let us know if you managed to get that pay rise using those four keys of negotiation or let me know your thoughts on the social media trends around money would love to hear that from you you can always catch me on social at pillar of society and i will see you guys next week for another episode bye